0: Daniel 9 verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke. In your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near, and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses the servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity that has been brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous and all the works that he has done, and we've not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The word Advent literally means coming. And the origins of Advent go back to as early as the fourth century. Advent originally was a season that was set aside as a time of prayer and fasting. Originally, Advent was a fast. Now, I find that incredibly ironic because today, Advent is more like a rush into the feast of Christmas as quickly as possible. As you look all over our city, even before Thanksgiving, and in some places even before Halloween, Christmas decorations go up. Stores are made ready. The trees are put out. Lights are put all over the city because we are rushing into Christmas as quickly as possible. But you see, Advent is a fast because Advent is about waiting. Recently, my wife and I have been introduced to the work of Malcolm Geit. He's an Anglican priest and a poet and a songwriter. He's actually going to be joining us here at PCPC in the spring. And this is what he says about Advent he says that Advent is countercultural. It's subversive. That reclaiming Advent's rich fast will restore meaning to the even richer feast when Christmas comes. And what does that mean? It it means that in our culture of instant gratification, the waiting of Advent is itself a fast. Advent is an invitation to slow down to give in to anticipation and longing. Advent calls us to wait on the coming of Jesus Christ. But our problem is we don't like to wait and we grow impatient. And in our impatience, we lose hope. This is why the book of Daniel is the perfect place for us to be during this Advent season. If you've been with us in the past, during Advent we often take a break from whatever we're preaching into and we have a set-aside Advent series, but not this year. You see, because the book of Daniel is about waiting. The book of Daniel is about waiting for the coming of the Lord. And this morning, in Daniel chapter nine, We see Daniel waiting. The people of God were in exile for 70 long years. And in the darkness of their waiting, they asked, is God faithful? Will he keep his promises? And as these 70 years came to a close, what did Daniel do? He did what he always did. Daniel prayed. And this morning, in Daniel 9, we've been given a gift, Daniel's prayer in the midst of waiting. And at the end of this prayer, in verse 19, Daniel makes three requests, three simple asks to the Lord. He prays, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, delay not. These three prayers frame the entire prayer in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. But they also frame really the prayer of the bible that god would not delay in coming to the rescue of his people and so this morning as we begin advent in the book of daniel i want you to learn what it means to wait and i want you to see why prayer teaches us to wait with hope the first thing i want you to see daniel prays oh lord here i want you to look at the first couple of verses of daniel 9 daniel says that as he is in the first year Of Darius, he was perceiving in the books, specifically the prophet Jeremiah, of how long their exile would be. Now, this is significant because something has happened. The kingdom of Babylon has fallen. Darius is now in power. And now Daniel's wondering could the promises of God be true? At the end of 70 long years of exile, he was watching God's prophecy fulfilled. And rather than presume upon God's promises, Daniel prayed. This is one of the great mysteries of prayer, that the sovereign God of the universe who controls all things and holds all things together would invite us to pray. That's exactly what Daniel did. Look with me, verse 3. Daniel tells us, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now have you ever wondered if God actually hears our prayers? you ever wondered that before? I know I have. Have you ever found yourself praying and wondering, does God even hear me? Is he even listening? Well, Daniel believed that God heard him, and this is why I know that is absolutely true. I want you to notice Daniel's posture before the Lord. See, not only did Daniel pray, but he was dressed in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel came before the Lord as a mourner, why? Because he knew that the Lord was listening. You see, when you have a big vision of God, and when you see him as the sovereign God of the universe, who's called you and even invited you to pray, it humbles you. And you see, the reason I think so often we fail to pray, at least I know this is true in my life, I fail to pray when I have a low view of God. You see, when we make God in our image, we want to control him. And when we have a low view of God, why bother praying? Because what does he care? And what could he possibly do? But Daniel's vision of God was big and mighty. Look with me at verse 4. Daniel prays, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, Oh Lord, the great and awesome God. The first thing that Daniel did in prayer is he confessed. He confessed his sin. He was honest about his humility before this awesome God, he calls him, "O oh Lord, the great and awesome God in Hebrew, that word "awesome" means fearful. Daniel feared the Lord. Do you? just how big is your vision of God? Does he fill you with awe? Does he fill you with fear and trembling? You see, because only when we have a big and majestic view of God, only then will we run to him in prayer, knowing that the sovereign God of the universe hears us. The second thing that Daniel prayed, Daniel prayed, oh Lord, forgive. Look with me at verse nine. Daniel continues praying. He says, to the Lord, our God, belonging mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Daniel centers his prayer on two themes, God's faithfulness and our faithlessness. These are the two themes of the book of Daniel, and in many ways, they're the themes of the entire Bible, the story of God being faithful to a faithless people. And so over and over again in Daniel's prayer, you see these two things pitted against each other. Daniel recounting all the ways that the people of God were faithless, and all the ways that God is faithful. But you see, when we think about God's faithfulness, so often we think about how he's faithful to forgive. But Daniel also points out in his prayer that God is faithful to judge as well. I want you to look with me. Verse 11. Daniel prays, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, and the servant of God has been poured out upon us. When we talk about God's faithfulness in the Bible, the Bible uses a word, it's the word covenant. God made a covenant or a promise, like wedding vows to his people. And with God's covenant promise, he gave blessings, that he would be our God and that we would be his people. But God not only gave covenant blessings, but he also gave covenant curses. Whoever who would turn their back on God would not get blessing, but they would get judgment and wrath. That's the part of God's faithfulness that we don't like to talk about, and you ask, well. Why would I want to worship a god like that? Why would I want to worship a god who judges us and who punishes us? I want to give you at least two reasons. The first is that we worship an awesome god. A god who's worthy of our praise and worthy of our fear. But the second, is that the fact that God is faithful not only to forgive, but that he's faithful to judge, that is what makes us trust him. You see, because God does what he says he's going to do. Can you imagine what our judicial system would be like if all of the penalties for breaking the law were just kind of empty threats? Would you trust a judge and a judicial process if there were not actual, the carrying out of sentences when judgment falls? We trust God because he does what he says he's going to do. And we worship a God who is just and righteous, who must bring judgment or sin. We like that when it's the sin of other people. We don't when it's our sin. And this is why Advent is so countercultural because it calls us not just to recognize the darkness of the world out there, but Advent invites us to be honest about the darkness in here. That there is darkness in our own hearts. And that the truth is, we, just like everyone else, deserve the judgment of God. But you see, God is faithful not only to judge, but also to forgive, because in his judgment, that is where we have mercy. I want you to look with me. Daniel continues to pray in verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. God has turned his anger and wrath away for us because he was faithful. Because he was faithful to send his son to be born in humility into a manger, to live a sinless life, and then to go to the cross and to die in our place so that the wrath and judgment of God would fall on him and turn away from us. God is faithful to judge, and the good news of Advent is that he has come, the person of his son, Jesus. He judged his son so that you and I and all who trust in his name would be forgiven. So the third and final thing I want you to know, Daniel prays, O Lord, Delay not. Look with me at verse 17. Now therefore, O Lord God, listen to the prayer of your servant, and to his pleas for mercy, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. If you remember, part of their exile is that they were not only exiled from Jerusalem, but they were exiled from worship. They weren't allowed to worship God in the temple. The temple had become a dark and desolate place. And so listen to the words of Daniel's prayer. He says, make your face to shine upon the sanctuary. There's probably not a better image of exile than darkness. It was during exile that the people of God felt like they couldn't see him. During their exile, they wondered, can his promises be true? Is God going to be faithful? Can we trust him? You see, because it's during darkness, where we cannot see God, that darkness consumes us the most, and it fills our hearts with doubt. And you see, this is why I think Daniel has meant so much to our church this semester together. Because the truth is, we feel some of that darkness today. Just like Daniel, who after the end of 70 long years of waiting in the midst of darkness, in the midst of exile, wondering can God be trusted, we find ourselves in exile once again, at the end of a long exile, a culture warring against us, the exile now affecting not just the world around us, but us as well. And in the midst of the darkness of our exile, just like the people of God, we question him We say, can he be trusted? See, prayer, prayer is an invitation to bring our questions to God. See, because when we don't do that, we're left alone in the dark. And when the darkness consumes us and then the wait is long, we get impatient. And when we get impatient, when we're waiting, we settle for lesser things. And when they don't do what we want them to do, They don't keep their promises. The waiting becomes longer. And when the wait is really long, we lose hope. Prayer is our weapon against hopelessness. Prayer is we bring the questions and doubts that we have in the midst of darkness. And we say, just with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Daniel is pressing into those questions and he's praying, God, do not hide your face, but make it shine. What does that mean? What does it mean for the Lord's face to shine on us? It's the same language that we see so often in our closing benediction from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. What does that mean? Or for the Lord's face to shine on us, it's for him to smile on us, to show us favor, that he would light up the darkest places of our world and the darkest places of our hearts with his grace, that his light would shine in the darkness. This is why Advent is such a gift, because the truth is, We feel this darkness every day, but we don't want to admit it. And the culture around us says, just distract yourself. Pretend like the darkness isn't really there. Turn to these lesser lights and just forget about just how hard this world is for a little while, but Advent says we can be honest. We can be honest about the dark, and we can wait because we are waiting with hope. Daniel prays in the midst of waiting in verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, delay not. The word advent means coming. And today we find ourselves caught between two Advents. We look back on the first Advent, the coming of Jesus. It's the Advent that Daniel was longing for, hoping that the Messiah would come. We get to look back and see that God was faithful. But we're caught between two Advents because just like Daniel, we're waiting again, and the wait has been long, but the wait is almost over. You see, because Advent not only teaches us to wait, but it teaches us to wait with hope. Because as surely as Christ has come, we know that he is coming again. Advent reminds us of what it means to live as God's people as we wait for his coming to wait with hope. That everything that we would do and everything that we'd say would have this prayer behind it. Delay not, O oh Lord. Delay not. The early church prayed a similar prayer, Maranatha. It means come quickly. May that be our prayer this Advent. Come quickly, Lord. Delay not. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer this morning as a church, as your people. Would you use Advent, would you use waiting to grow us and to give us hope, to remind us that we are a people who've been waiting long, but that our wait is almost over. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.